Let us pray. Indeed, one day our Lord is coming. What a glorious day that will be. In the meantime, we'll continue to depend upon His marvelous grace. And we commemorate that grace in giving. Not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Praying is not here after all. Two weeks ago, we had a wedding here at Country Bible Church, and the bride and groom is here today. That would be Jason and Brenda Dobie. Will you all please stand? Two weeks of marriage. Also, we're, we're going to have a Logos class in two weeks. It's not in the bulletin, but we are going to have another Logos class. We had one yesterday, and the DVD is available for that. We did uh, tape it. So that will be, um, let's see, February the 25th will be our next Logos class. Uh, you might want to mark that on your calendar. Also, on the front of your bulletins, you may notice that we have the memory verse for February. I don't think we had this one on there the first week of February. kind of slipped up. Nobody reminded us. And so you already were a week behind, and February is a short month. So uh, if you need to read it, read it. If you know it, let's say it. These things I have written to those who believe the name of the Son of God that they may know that they have eternal life. So if you ever bump into someone, they think they don't know, they don't think that anyone can know whether they're saved or not. You can inform them of this verse. There wasn't too many people saying it. We will do this again. Okay. Um, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of <laughs> silent prayer. And during that time, I will uh, say the prayer. I'm going to show you how to turn that off so when your Logos comes on, it doesn't have to have that on there. Remind me of the next Logos class and I'll show you that. Because I've gone to many seminars and people, when they turn on their computer or their Logos, it comes on. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for giving us this beautiful day. But most importantly, that we can come here as the raw family of God. We can all focus and concentrate on Your mighty Word so that we can be good and faithful servants. So we pray that You will help us to focus and concentrate. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So take your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. I know it says that we're in Joshua on our bulletins, and we kind of are. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, it mentions Joshua. 
That's what connected us to where we've been for a little while now. We're talking about not missing God's rest. Here it is up on, on the board. Okay. That got your attention. Now, I don't think that came from here. I don't know where it came from. Just at the right time, though. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Is it on the TV over here? Somebody needs to get the uh, deal and... You got it, Gene? Okay. All right, let's look up here or look in your Bibles. We've gone over this a little bit. In the first few verses, we're going to just kind of... Uh, go through fairly rapidly because we've gone through it a couple of times. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear lest. You'll notice that that's in a different color up on the board. That is because it is a horatory subjunctive. Don't let that frighten you. It's, just a, it's actually an imperative mood that... It, it, well, it's, it's not an imperative, but it acts as an imperative, as if a command... But a horatory subjunctive is said with passion. It's said with emotion. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, okay, let us fear. Well, that's different than what we usually hear. Verse after verse in the Bible tells us not to fear. But what are we to fear? While a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to, come, to have come short of it. So normally we're not to fear... Uh, or we should fear the uh, missing this promise, but everything else, essentially, we are not to fear. The rest. What is this rest all about? Well, we call it faith rest, but there's a lot more to it than just calling it a name and moving on. We should fear not to enter God's rest. There is a rest. There is a place of solace, of a place where there's no danger, a place where all the static and all the noise in your soul is turned off, where there's peace. That's the place where we want to, to go to. And he's saying God has made it available and we should fear lest we miss it. Verse 2, For indeed we have had good news uh, preached to us just as they also... But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Now, we know from what we were studying before in the previous chapter and even in this chapter as we get a little further along, that this is talking about the first Exodus generation. That's the, one, the ones that uh, left Egypt and they refused to cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And they had promises made to them. They had all these miracles that they witnessed, eyewitnesses of what God did in Egypt, of crossing the Red Sea, water coming out of, out of a rock, manna prov provided for them. They saw all of these things. And God said, okay, now is the time. Let's cross the, land, the, the river and take the land. And they would not do it because they were afraid. They did not believe God's promises, and that's why we have this uh, relationship, or at least a comparison. Uh, we have good news preached to us, 
just like they did, but they failed because they failed to believe it. They failed to apply it. Verse 3. For we who have believed, under that, have believed, enter that rest. How do you enter that rest? Through faith. Just as he has said, quote, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. End of quote. Now, what he's saying there is everybody wants to have peace of mind. Everybody wants to uh, be at rest in their soul with a lot of, without a lot of turmoil and stress going on. They say that stress is a killer. In the time in which we live, it's not so much that we're afraid that we're going to go out and find some food in the jungle and a tiger might get us. I believe if I heard a tiger growl, that would create some stress, but it's not that kind of stress. The kind of stress we have is getting on a freeway and it's choked down and you're late. Uh, now, some of you may be able to get by without having stress in that situation. I am one that cannot. I get stressed out when I stop at the one light down here on the way to church. Why did I have to catch it red? So, what you, essentially what this is saying is, the only way that you're going to do away with the stress and the turmoil in your soul, that anxiety and worry and fear, is to believe what God has said in His Word. And that's the only way. Any other way that you're going to try to turn off the stress, it's not going to work. Well, you can pop pills if you want to. That has side effects and you have to keep taking them and eventually... Uh, you're going to be in such a shape that you're not going to know whether you have stress or not. Zombie land. Verse 4. For he has thus said somewhere, and the somewhere is Genesis 2.2. This is talking about that God has said somewhere, and we know it's in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 2, concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, there's going to be a comparison made between that rest that God offers to us and how God rested on the seventh day. Now, your body can be tired and you can still have the rest that God has offered because God did not rest on the seventh day because he was tired. Uh, all he did, by the way, was just, what did he do? He, in six days... He essentially regenerated the earth. Now, uh, so what we do on the seventh day is going to be very similar to what he did, and we'll see it in the next few verses, verse 5. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. He, that's two times right away. He's saying, these people, anyone who does not mix their faith with the promise of God, is not going to enter the rest. That's the key. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains. Now this is pretty neat the way I have these under here. What is the it? See the arrow? The it is God's rest. And <clears throat> so uh, since therefore it, that is his rest, remains for some. The some is referring to us. 
By the way, if you have your Bible open and you want to make little notations, don't just think about it. Do it because I can assure you two weeks from now you won't remember what was there. Since therefore it, God's rest, remains for some, which is us, to enter it. And those who formerly had good news preached to them, again, this is referring to the first generation exodus, first exodus generation, they failed to enter because of disobedience. Actually, you can scratch that word out if you want to and put unbelief. Because the Greek word there is apatheo, A-P-E-I-T-H-E-O, and it means a stubborn, obstinate refusal to believe something. In some cases, it can mean disobedience, but it certainly doesn't fit the context here. It's because of unbelief. Verse 7. He again fixes a certain day, which is what? Today. See, that way back then in the Exodus generation... God had given them a promise. They could go in and take the land of Canaan and they could have rest there. Well, they refused. They didn't, they didn't uh, trust God. And so God didn't take it off the table. We're going to see even in David's day, in Psalm 95, verse uh, 7 and 8, we're going to see these same quotes given, which means that even... 400 years later, about 400 years later, David mentions this same rest, so it's still on the table. But what we see here in this verse, it says, and he again, he fixes a certain day today. In other words, that's in our time. This rest is still available. So he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, about 400 years after the Exodus generation is when David made this quote in Psalm 95, 7 and 8, just as has been said before. In fact, this is the third time in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 that we have this same quote. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. A couple of things I want to point out. First of all, we have today, if, this is a third class conditional clause, meaning this is only a potential. It's up to you. This is the subjunctive mood here, meaning here, and it means that's only a potential. It's not saying today you will do it. It's saying today it's a possibility. It's still a potential to do it. So he says today, if you hear his voice, then the second thing says, do not harden your heart. Notice this is in the subjunctive mood also, which means maybe you will and maybe you won't. I don't see anybody making any notes in your Bible. Maybe they're already there, but you ought to underline these and, and, and don't connect it, the underline all the way. You've got two phrases here. Hear his voice. The next one, harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. And what I'm explaining here underneath this verse, one can have negative volition two ways, two points of time. You can harden your heart, and there are untold millions of believers, even in, this, in, in our own country, that have hardened their hearts because they're not going to church, they don't go to Bible class, they don't make any effort to hear or read God's Word. And that's one way that you are going to miss out on his rest. 
if you don't know what the Word of God says, certainly you can't enter His rest. You don't even know there is such a thing. And the second place that you can uh, lose out is in hardening your heart. That's being negative to the doctrine that you are either reading or that is being taught to you. So any believer at any given point of time, these are only potentials. And you are forced to make these decisions every day. I was going to say every week, but it's really every day. You can refuse to hear His Word. Uh, today's Sunday. What are you going to do Monday? What is on your day planner? Do you have any time for God? You're going to, are you going to read anything in the Bible? Are you going to listen to a DVD, or, I mean a CD, or watch a DVD, or get on the Internet, put in a tape, read something to get spiritual nourishment? Well, I don't know. That's up to you. But I can assure you this. If you don't make that effort by your own positive volition to wanting to grow, then what's going to happen is you're not going to enter His rest. And if you don't enter His rest, the world and the flesh and the devil are going to gobble you up. So we have to do this every single day. Now, obviously you all have made the first step. You're here. You're hearing the Word of God being taught to you. Now the test is, are you going to concentrate? Are you going to let your mind wonder? Or are you going to concentrate recognizing this is vital, this is important? This is how you have the peace that passes all understanding in this life regarding of the, regardless of the circumstances. This is what we're talking about. And if you're doing that, you're hearing the Word, and you're not negative, you're concentrating, then you've done what is necessary to faith rest, to enter His rest, turn off the stress. Verse 8. For if Joshua... Now, that's a second-class conditional clause, which means if and it's not so. So this is the verse that connected us to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, it said that Joshua had given them rest in the land. Well, that rest was a temporary, physical type of rest from the enemies. It wasn't in, even against uh, uh, for, uh, the rest against all the enemies. Over there in Philistia, right, which is right close to where they bordered on Israel... Uh, even there they still had um, enemies, the Philistines. So the rest that we see in Joshua is not the rest that he's speaking of, that we see in Hebrews. We're talking not a temporary, physical type of rest from enemies. We're talking about the kind of rest, the most important rest that is up here in your soul. So, Verse 8 says, For if Joshua had given them rest, but he didn't, he, that is the Holy Spirit speaking through David, would not have spoken in Psalm 95.7 of another day, which is referring to today, after that, after Joshua's time. Now fill in those spaces in the Bible with these notes so you'll understand. These, these little brackets are important. Otherwise, you can just read it and if you say, For if Joshua would have given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. There's a lot of questions unanswered there. First of all, if Joshua had given him rest, had given uh, them rest, who is the them? That's the people that followed Joshua into the land of Canaan. And if you're reading it in the English, see, our if is always just a third conditional, con conditional clause. In other words, if maybe he did and maybe 
Maybe he didn't. You can't tell in English. But in Greek, it's more specific. And it's the uh, words that are used and the morphology of the words that tell you what conditional clause this is. And I'm telling you, this is a second-class conditional clause, which means he didn't give them rest. Isn't that important to know? Otherwise, you're reading that. Well, I'd sure like to know if he gave them rest or not. Well, you might be able to search that out, but I don't know if you'd take the time to do it. And who is the he? Well, it's in a capital H, so it must be the Holy Spirit, right? Of course, in the original manuscripts, in the Greek, all the letters were capital. So this is this, this writer's interpretation that it was the Holy Spirit. That's why he put a capital H there for uh, the he, which is right, is the Holy Spirit, but... Uh, there's just question that goes, questions that you need to have answered. These brackets fill in the gaps, and it makes sense. Am I going too fast? Are you all sticking with me? Okay. Verse 9 and 10. There, there remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's nice to know, isn't it? After all the failures and so many people who have not taken advantage of this rest that God has offered because they continue to fail to just believe God and His Word. He hadn't taken it off the table. It's still there for us. Verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest, and by the way, you do that by what we just call faith resting. We take his promise and individual promise, promises and we accept them into our soul. And we believe them. Those who have done that have entered his rest. So for the one who has entered his rest by faith resting has himself also rested from his works. But look at this, this last phrase right here. As God did from his. Now why is that in there? Why did he put as God did from his? Here's the key. We just went into a, a verse that was referring to Genesis 2-2 where after God had restored the earth in six days, the seventh day he rested. Why? Because everything had been done. It was finished. Everything that was necessary had been accomplished, so he just rested. Now, when it tells us here that for the one, that would be the believer who has entered his rest, you believe the promise in your soul. There is rest there. The stress is gone. Has himself also rested from his works. In other words, you're not out there conniving and hustling and depending on your own effort. You're resting in your soul, depending on God to do what he says he's going to do, and that means he'll come to your aid. He will see you through the storm, the challenge. And you're going to do it as God did it from His, because here's the key. Whenever you have faith rested, whenever you are trusting God, you're taking the load off of your shoulders and putting it on God. How do you do that? Well, the best way to do it, I think, is just by prayer. Father, I'm worried. Father, I'm scared. I'm tired of this burden being on me. You say that I can put it on you. So here it is. Take it. I'm leaving it there, and I'm trusting you to handle it. Guess what? You faith rested, and now you've entered his rest. 
here. You see? So once you do that, you've rested like God did because here's the thing. Listen to this carefully. Spiritually speaking, you've done everything that's necessary. Just like when God rested on the seventh day, He had done everything that was necessary, so He just rested. In the spiritual realm, when you have adversities and all these, the world is coming at you from every direction, whenever you faith rest, you rest like God did because you've done everything that's necessary. Now leave it alone. You put it on God. What, can you, what are you supposed to do after you put it on God? Rest. Hey, it's, <laughs> and what's going to be the challenge for you, though? We're talking about going through the, the, the jungle and the, hearing the tiger roar. A tiger roars, you're going to have stress, even if you don't sing. Or maybe it's a lion, whatever it is. And so when you start faith resting, you say, okay, Father, I can't outrun that tiger. I can't outfight him. The only thing I can do is rest that you're going to protect me from him. And then I'm going to go on my merry way. I'm going to walk down this jungle path. And I'm going to be whistling zippity-doo-dah. I don't have to worry about it because you're taking care of the tiger. Now what happens in reality, though, to us? We'll take about four steps of zippity-doo-dah. What about that tiger? You know, don't we do that, huh? What do you do when you do that? You know, what happens is... A mental attitude sin of probably not in the tiger situation worry. It's outright fear, maybe panic. And it grabs you by the soul. And so what do you do? Okay, Father, here I am again. I'm worried about the tiger. I know that the only thing between me and the tiger that's going to make any difference is you. So I'm putting that issue in your hands. And I'm not going to be concerned about it because I really trust your word that you're going to take care of it. And then I'm zippity-doo-dah, and I'm on my way again. And you might have to do that. Well, if, it, if, it, if it's, let's say if it's a hundred-yard path, it might take you an hour to get to the end because every time you get hit by that fear, you've got to stop and, and reassess, give that burden to the Lord, and then you're on your way again. You might not be taking that many steps during, on the zippity-doo-dah path. Because our nature wants to go on the biting your fingernails to the second knuckle path. Okay. That's what it means when it says up here. Look at verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works. You know, sometimes this just doesn't mean physical work. And by the way, when your faith rests, doesn't mean, oh, well, the grass needs mowing. I can't hardly see the car, but you know what? I'm going to sit on the porch and faith rest and let God take care of the grass. No. You still have to do the things you would normally do, but it's up here in your soul where the rest takes place. I'm not going to read all this because I just told you about it. Here, verse 11. Notice this is red again. See this? This is your second horatory subjunctive. And this, all of chapter 4, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you an outline, is described, what the writer of Hebrews is saying in chapter 4 is encapsulated in four hortatory subjunctives. We'll get to that in a minute. But here it is. 
Let us therefore be diligent. Remember the first one? Verse 1, let us therefore be afraid. Now he's saying, let us therefore be diligent. And this diligent is one of my favorite words. Spudazzo. You can't say that just spudazzo. No, it's got to be because it means zeal. I like it so much it was my password on several things. By the way, if you want to really get a password that nobody else is going to get, get a Greek word like spudazzo or play roo or pistuo. Anyway, let us therefore be diligent. This is, look at this, aorist act is subjunctive. Here it is. It's a subjunctive. It's a horatory subjunctive means I hope that you will. I encourage you. I exhort you to be diligent. To do what? To enter that rest. That's the faith rest. Lest anyone should fall short of a promise. That's what it means when it says, lest anyone should fall. It doesn't really say fall from what. You could call it a lot of things, but fall short of entering his rest. And you do that by believing the promise that God has given us. So let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall short of a promise through following the same example of disobedience. Where is he going back to again? Boy, he's picking on that first generation of Exodus, isn't he? And they richly deserve it. And so do we. Don't follow their example because they didn't get rest. They didn't enter the, the promised land. Now, we want to change this let us, which is a subjunctive, to we will. Don't we? In other words, wouldn't it be nice if, if it said, we will therefore be diligent? Well, it doesn't say that. It's just a potential. Who makes the difference whether this let us is going to be a we will? I'm looking at you. And I, I've got a mirror back there. I can see me. There's a little mirror up there so I can know when something's up here or not. So I, that reaches all of us. We want to change this let us to we will so that we won't fall short of his rest. Are we all in agreement here with that? Okay. The problem is, okay, where do we go from here? We want to change the let us to a we will. How can we do that? Well, the next few words of the next verse tells us what we need to keep from failing, falling short of entering his rest by Failing to faith rest. You got that? Let me say that again. It's kind of a long sentence. How are we going to keep from failing that, that rest? The next few words of the next verse tells us what we need. We need something to change that led us to we will and that it will happen. The, ne the, the few words, the next verse tells us what we need to keep from falling short of entering his promise, which means that we fail to faith rest. And here's the next verse. You see the red in the red? The few words that we need, here's what we need. That's the few words, the Word of God. So verse uh, 12, some of you have heard this many times. For the Word of God is quick. It means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
even to the dividing asunder of the soul of the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a critic of thoughts and intents of the heart. There is a lot there. But what I want you to see is when we go from verse 11, let us therefore be diligent, and we connect that with the next words of the next verse, we come up with something. For the, why does he say, let us be diligent? We don't want to fall short of that rest. And then the next verse, right off the, the bat, he says, for the Word of God. See, if, if you're not diligent for the Word of God, you're not going to enter the rest. And you're going to be controlled by your circumstances. You're going to be like that. Uh, I've been to the, well, years ago I went to the rodeo. I, I've never even been to Reliant Stadium yet. And they had it in the dome, the Astrodome. And I went to the Fat Stock show there one time. Mainly I was introduced to that in the Coliseum. Now some of you know what the Coliseum was. But what used to really get me is they would have these 2,000-pound bulls. They're old huge bull like that. And they had a ring in his nose. And there'd be a little 10-year-old boy with a little chain from that ring in his nose. And he could lead that bull anywhere he wanted to. 2,000 pounds. Lead him. That's what happens to us if we don't faith rest. What happens is our circumstances put a ring in our nose. And whatever happens to the circumstances, that's where we go. If they start going bad, going south, whatever, it leads us that way. If we're having a better day, it might lead us to where we have a little breather, but then we're right back into adversity. Well, what happens is if your faith resting, you're not going to be uh, led that way. Now, I'm not saying that the circumstance is going to get better. Please hear that. But what I'm saying is the real you, which is your soul, your thinking, the heart, the cardia, it's not going to be stressed out no matter where you go. It has no control over you. It breaks the ring. For the Word of God is alive and, that is, and, and powerful. It will go where nothing else goes. It's designed to be so. That's why you want to learn some scriptures. One reason we're learning these, these uh, memory verses because I don't think that you carry your Bible everywhere you go. I don't carry my Bible into the grocery store, but there have been several occasions that I had a chance to witness. And I can't say if somebody, I see the opportunity to witness to somebody, and I can't say, will you stand right here? Don't move. I've got to go out in the parking lot and get my Bible. I'll be right back. I'll be back within 10 minutes. What's the chance of that person still standing there? We've got to know these. Because it's alive and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I'll show you. It's the Machaira sword. I'll show you that in a moment. Piercing even unto the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. You know, we are unbelievable complex creatures. Because I think that I'm talking to all believers here, but I'm not sure. But if I am, it means that you are made up of a body and a soul and a spirit. But the real you is not what we're looking at. This is just... Your body is just a house for your soul and spirit. We can't see that, but that's the real you. And how your soul and spirit interacts with your body, you are not your brain. Your soul and spirit uses your brain to tell your body what to do. And so, but it all 
originates from what God imputed to you, which is soul life. Even unbelievers have this. And in all of our sophisticated technology and machinery, nobody can even start to articulate how that soul can use that brain to make your body do what that soul wants it to do. Now, if you could, you could uh, explain that, it would probably take more data than what's in the Library of Congress. Isn't that amazing, that, that interaction? But what about, this is making a distinction between the soul and the spirit. See, the spirit is what, is what we have that can have a relationship with God. If you're understanding the things that I'm saying today, this spiritual phenomenon is because you have a spirit. And it, and it computes. And how does the soul, how is the soul different from the spirit? Well, we can't see either one of them. And it's a good thing. You know why? Because that which is invisible is what is eternal. This body, hey, it's, it's going to be dirt one of these days. Sometimes I kind of look like dirt. You can ask Carrie. She's, I started to come in before and she says, you need to get hosed off. Well, one of these days I'm going to be pure dirt. Well, we are. You know, we're all pure dirt right now. It's just been rearranged. We're but a bunch of... <laughs> I won't say we're dirt bags, but we are dirt that God has put, you know, rearranged that God has put a soul and spirit in. And the Bible is so magnificent that it can make a distinction between the soul and the spirit. Well, we can't do that. The, the, the best neurosurgeon in the world can't go in there and say, oh, there's the soul. Let's divide that soul and spirit so we get a good look at them. It's not going to happen. Only the Bible can do that. So it makes a distinction between the soul and the spirit. And then, look at this, and of the joints and the marrow. Now, that used to always really bug me. I thought, why did he have to put joints and marrow in there? What does that have to do anything with this? And I said, well, maybe it's one of these days I'll find out. And I don't know exactly when it was, but I was looking at, I was studying something about DNA. I'm not an egghead, but I, you know, it was probably came over the internet. Had a, one of those spiral helixes, and I was, and they say that the DNA is actually a code, and the DNA, and each of us have our own DNA, and it, when when the fetus is farming, this DNA will say, okay, you're going to be an ear, and you're going to be on this side of the head. This is going to be elbow, and it's going to be over here. Every part of your body has a code. What is a code? It's like language, is it not? And so it's kind of like words. We communicate in words. The DNA uh, communicates in what we would say when we show it. It's letters and uh, numbers and all this. So what this is saying is that God in His Word recognizes that this code... This language that is built into our DNA, God has divided that language so that some is going to become an eye, some is going to be a nose, some is going to be a foot. It can divide that. Do you understand? It took us, what, five or, five or 6,000 years to finally get to the point to where we can find, oh, okay, our genetics are made up of DNA, and the DNA are these little codes, these little words that separate 
what's going to be a joint and what's going to be the marrow? Well, something to think about, isn't it? And is a discerner or a critic of thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, you can fool me. You can fool your spouse. You can fool some people, but you can't fool, fool God. He, know, he can look the heart. See that heart cardia? He knows what you're thinking. He always knows what you're thinking. When we connect this to what we just saw with regards to that we should be diligent, therefore let us be diligent, and we, then we start talking about the, um, the Word of God and how powerful it is, what this is saying is say, look, I'm going to give you just a little thimbleful of information to show you why you can trust the Word when it gives you a promise that it, what, what the Word can do. It's alive. It's powerful. It goes into your soul. It goes into your spirit if you have a spirit. And it can encourage you. It can turn off the noise in your soul. It can even divide the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. Well, that already took place because you have joints, you have marrow. And when you were a little bitty microscopic thing in, in your mother's womb, there was that DNA saying, you're going to be joints, you're going to be marrow. And, and the Bible says, by the way, who made the joints and the marrow? Where did that come from? Well, I know it came from your parents, but where did your parents come from? Who made the dirt? Okay. The sword is the machaira. Here it is in the Greek. Here it is. Here's uh, kind of what it looked like. I actually had the privilege of seeing a machaira. It was in the office of uh, Colonel R.B. Thiem Jr. at Baraka Church in his office. Boy, it was magnificent. It, of course, we didn't handle it. It was on the wall behind glass. But it looked something like this. Now, we look at it and say, okay, well, it's a knife or a sword, so what? Well, in the age that this was being used, it was state-of-the-art weaponry. First of all, it was pointed on the end. Some swords weren't. It was sharp on both sides. Most swords weren't. And they had different kinds of swords. There was the broad sword. They were, some of them, six feet long, and you would have to wield it with two hands but it didn't have a sharp point on it like this. It was more for hacking. You had the rapier. You, have you ever seen them in the Olympics? They do the, the fencing. There's that kind of... There are all these different kind of swords. What made this one so great is... Here it is. This is a Roman soldier. You see it right here. Uh, when they went against the barbarians, the barbarians thought the bigger the sword, the better it is. The only problem is when a barbarian swung at you one time and missed, he was off balance that Roman soldier, which is in balance because it's not a, a big sword, whoop, right up under here, toast. So it was, uh, and it was a balanced sword, and it also kept you in balance. And you could use it for both offense and defense. Pretty neat. So that's what the Word of God is. We can use it offensively or defensively. Okay, there's a lot on this page. Don't get all excited about it, okay? Because the next page has more than this one. But this is what I was talking about. The horatory, which means to exhort, subjunctive is a verb uh, from form, which means possibility 
uh, stated with emotion. So we've had the first one is let us begin to fear, which is what? Motivation. The second one we just had, verse 11, is let us be diligent, which means learning doctrine. That is the context. Because what do we have right after verse 11? Verse 12, it's talking about what? The Word of God. The third oratory subjunctive is right here. Verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So that number 14, let us hold fast, is what? Endurance. The next one we have, we only have the fourth one in chapter 4, is in verse 16. Here's verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So verse 16, we have let us come boldly to the throne of grace, which is confidence. Come boldly. Okay? Those are the four horatory conjunctions in Hebrews chapter 4 that gives a story that we better pay attention to. Motivation, learning doctrine, endurance, and confidence. That's verse 1, 11, 14, and 16. Now, in your Bibles, I want you to go to each one of these verses and put a star, uh, circle it, do something that you can recognize that what the writer of Hebrews in these four oratory conjunctions has given a, 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 a capsule form of what he's trying to say in all the verses, in the whole chapter, he's encapsulated it in these four oratory conjunctions. Let us begin to fear, motivation. Let us be diligent, learning doctrine. Verse 14, let us hold fast, endurance. And verse 16, let us come boldly. I could have just said boldly, but I wanted to put it in context. Come boldly to the throne of grace. What does it mean to come boldly to the throne of grace? What is the throne of grace? He is talking about what? He's talking about prayer there. Don't be bashful when you go to the throne. Every time that you pray, you're going to, right? You have access to God. You don't have to go to a man, a priest. You are a priest. And we go, what is the access we have? Through Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. So we don't have to go to a person. We have Jesus Christ as our high priest. We go right straight to him. And we can come boldly, mean confidently that he's going to hear us. And don't ever think that you're bothering God. The only time you bother God is when you don't bother God. Y'all got that down because I want to go to the next page real bad before we end. I hope that's the page I'm thinking it is. (laughs) Are y'all, I see a lot of still writing here. Are y'all pretty well good to go to the next one? Okay. Here it is. Here's the plan. Starting down here, Hebrews 4.1, we have motivation. Let us fear. What? Fear discipline. Other side of the coin, desire rewards. That's where it starts. I don't know where you are on here. You can figure that out for yourself. But the first thing is when you hear the Word of God, when you hear someone giving you truth, then it's gonna, it should give you a motivation and you have it both ways. Some people will say, 
man, I don't want to lose out on getting into that rest of God because what we're going to see is if you don't enter that rest, you're not being obedient. And what's up for you? Discipline. And then others say, man, I want to enter that rest because when I enter that rest, I'm on the right wavelength and I desire to get rewards. How many believers do you know that don't even know anything about rewards? They're just trying to be as moral as they good and hope they make it to heaven. Mediocre stupidos. All right, here's Hebrews 4.1, let us fear. Here's the motivation. The motivation is fear of discipline, desire, rewards. We, that motivation takes us to the next, next horatory conjunction, Hebrews 4.11. Let us be diligent. And what does that mean? Persistent intake of the Word. Because in verse 11, it's talking about let us be diligent. In the next verse, it's talking about God's Word, and it's explaining it. So you connect the dots. You're not going anywhere if you're not diligent in taking in the Word. Which, after we got that motivation to take in the Word, once we take in the Word, it moves us up here to endurance, which is Hebrews 4.14. Let us hold fast. Now you've, you're taking in the Word. But the whole, the whole time you're taking in the Word, you've got the world. And the world, pow, giving you a hook, pow, pow. You know, the world is beating up on you. You're taking in the Word. And you, man, you're taking some punches. You're trying to defend some off. But it says, endure. Let us hold fast. See, you have to endure through suffering and adversity. Just because you're taking in the Word doesn't mean this is going to be cut off. This might even be intensified. But you can't endure. Let us hold fast. How do you do it? Faith rest. You take that burden that is just breaking you down. You say, here, Lord, I don't want it. The Lord wants it. He'll take care of it. And so now you're enduring. You're enduring through suffering and adversity, through faith rest. Then after a while, you're going to get to this one, confidence. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So here you are, taking in the Word, you're enduring, but you need confidence that you just don't... Once you lose your confidence, you've had it. Your, your, your circumstances are circling around you just like sharks, waiting for you. You let your guard down and quit faith resting. And as soon as you do, they're in for the kill. So what, you want, what will happen, if you endure, it's going to be automatically... You're going to start having confidence. You're going to have... Through prayer, see, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Here's the prayer. And when you have prayer and you have confidence, you're going to have an RMA. What's an RMA? There you go. Relaxed mental attitude. When you have to go to the dentist and you're sitting in the dentist's waiting room and you hear someone there, Ah! Face rest, face rest. I'm going to have an RMA. <laughs> Whatever it may be. Don't y'all look at me like you're not like that in your soul. You hear somebody scream like that and you, your body, does, body language doesn't lie. So you have prayer, confidence to go to God, and then you have an RMA. What is this over here? ESD. Eternal sense of destiny. See, when you're taking in doctrine, you're going to learn something about these and you're going to start living your life not just for the now, but for the hereafter. You, 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 you're storing up treasures not for the now, but for in heaven. And that gives you another perspective. It changes the whole way you live. So now you've been enduring. You've been faith resting. 
You've been going to having prayer. You've got RMA. Now you have an eternal sense of destiny. You've read yourself into the picture. When you pass this veil of tears, this short time on earth, you're looking forward to eternity because you've been investing in eternity. You see? You are investing in eternity here. Here. Now you have confidence, and that even gets you more motivated towards the top one here, which is rewards. And this is, I had several verses I just gave you here. Luke 6:23 says, your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven only if you've done all of this, see? If you hadn't done all of this, your rewards in heaven is squat. Zero. Zilt. Nada. And that might not bother you, but it bothers me. I didn't have anything to say when I was born, and neither did you. You couldn't prepare for being born. You couldn't, you couldn't store up treasures for this earth before you were born, could you? But when we're talking about eternity, here and now, the decisions you make, the doctrine that you take in, the more you spiritually grow, and you go up this from motivation all the way up here, now you're ex- this ESD, you're expecting rewards, you're anticipating rewards. The things that you do now are going to make a difference. So, on this left-hand side, S-grace is super grace. You, you can even get super grace blessings in time. That's now. You don't have to wait for eternity. I know what some of you are like me. You're, well, that sounds good, but I don't want to wait for eternity for all this. You don't have to. You get blessing. If you have a cup, God can fill it to where it's going to overflow. And you don't have a cup unless all this is in place. If all this is in place, you got the cup, and God says, watch what I can do. He's going to pour so many blessings on you, it's going to overflow to everybody around you. Blessings by association. What is this over here? The SP. This is surpassing grace. I didn't, I didn't have room to spell it out, so I just put SP. Surpassing grace in eternity. This is the big deal right here. Well, we like this. This is good, but here's big time right here because that lasts all eternity. That's where we get to rewards. Now, you can look at this and figure out where are you on this plan or on this chart. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Some of you might be down here. Motivation. That's okay. If it's even fear of discipline. If you think, man, I can barely manage my life as it is. If God starts pouring on the discipline, I am had it. If that, that's good enough. Get with the Word. And as you get with or it might be, hey, rewards. I've been playing the lottery for ten years and I've never won a thing. This is a sure thing. It doesn't cost you anything. By the way, I haven't been playing the lottery for ten years. That was just an illustration. Um, so if you're here, that's fine. But get with it. You start taking in the Word. And here's the neat thing. When you're, t- in, when you're taking in the Word, when you're learning... What you're going to do is learn how to endure through suffering and adversity. Because all God's children got suffering and adversity, right? I'm just looking to see someone that says, oh, not me. You learn how to endure. And you do it by faith rest. And after a while, you're going to start building confidence. That confidence is so important because that eternal sense of destiny... You're thinking about eternity now. These things, you know what Paul said? Now, Paul was beat 
He was whipped. He was naked. He was hungry. He was starved. He was tossed out. He was in the ocean. You name it. And he went through it. And when he was describing his eternal sense of destiny, what he was anticipating with regards to rewards, he said this light bit of affliction is nothing compared to the heavy weight of glory that awaits us. That's what we need to be thinking about. And get your, I know you have to think about details. We all have to think about details. We all get hungry. You might be thinking about, what am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? Well, that's fine. Don't think about it right now, though. But this thought will enter your head sometime today. And when it does, we have to take care of the details. But don't let the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the worries, and the mental attitude sins ruin your joy. I was so happy yesterday, I can't tell you how happy I was. And I was driving from Green Vine to here. One reason I was happy, because I had a lot of really good things to share with the people I was going to show teach Lagos program to. Beautiful day. Did you notice that? The sun was out. I didn't even pass a car. No traffic. I mean, that floats my boat. And it was just so beautiful. And I thought about, man, i got eyes to see. I see all this beautiful. I was just overflowing. Why aren't we like that all the time? Why are some of us never like that? It takes capacity. And you know who I was thinking about? I was thinking about the Lord. I was thinking, Lord, I don't have to be in Houston traffic. I've got cows to look at and trees and a beautiful sky. And I was in my little gray truck. It doesn't have air conditioning, but it's just right. I had the breeze coming in. I had my little iPod with music. The thing, the ear things don't work, only one side, so I'm getting one side of my ear. But that didn't bother me, you know? Now, if I wasn't faith resting, I might have been stressed out. Oh, wow, I can't hear on one ear. No. I don't know. I'm trying my best to explain it to you. I hope that you're getting it. Because this is, this is where it is. Okay, I think I have... Ooh, I'm past time, but I think I have one... Let's see what I have left. I'm going to skip one and give you the last. This... Huh? I know I, I did it on purpose. I know. I can't stop that one. <laughs> they, get a head, they get a head start. Here's what I'm talking about right here. You see this? Who you will be, what you will do, and what you will have for all eternity depends on whether you keep enduring or not. We're talking about enduring. Now, it's easy to pass a little small test and think you're all that, but in the long haul is where the endurance is. Will you keep learning doctrine? Will you keep trusting the Lord by faith resting? Will you learn how to faith rest? If you do then you can anticipate you'll, you'll, that endurance will develop into confidence and that confidence will develop into great anticipation of the wonderful things that God has for us for the rest of the time we have on earth as well as for all eternity. Now I'd like everyone please to bow your heads. All these things that I've been showing you are only for those who are children of God. Not all people are children of God. We're not all children. God's children, only those who have accepted the gospel. The best news that anyone will ever hear is that 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross to die for your sins. He was buried. He was resurrected. And now, He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. It's not of works lest any man should boast. It's all about a decision that you can make. You can make it right now and your eternal destiny is secure. Then you can have that motivation to start learning doctrine and start enduring and suffering and having that confidence that will be related to eternal reward. Now, Father, we're so thankful for Your mighty Word. It is alive and powerful. We thank You for this time You've given us to focus our attention upon it and pray that it will go deep into our cardia, into our heart, into long-term memory so that we can grow in grace and knowledge and be good and faithful servants. We pray this all in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.